When I was 16 years old, I got to fulfill the dream of every 16-year-old. I got to accompany my parents to the DMV, got to pass my driver's license test, and became a licensed driver of the state of Texas. We drove back to our house, and my, parent, my, my father got out of the car and let me take my first spin as a licensed driver all by myself, and it was great. I had finally come of age. They had given me responsibility. They had given me freedom, and they only had a couple of rules. One was that I obey the laws of the land, and I'm sure I do that just as well as you do. But the second rule that they had for me was that no one else would drive the car except for me. And so they were going to entrust me with this vehicle, this 91 Honda Accord two-door brown. Oh, I love that car. And it was mine and mine alone. I was the only person allowed to drive it, and I did really well with that for a few months. And I had this girl, and I would pick her up to school, to drive her to school every day, and I would take her home every afternoon, and we were not romantically involved at all. We just were really good friends, and she began to wear me down. Brian, let me drive the car. No, I can't do that. Brian, you got to let me drive the car. Let me drive the car. No, no, I can't do that. Brian, my parents don't let me drive. Let me, let me drive. I, I should have known. And... And so I did what everyone does when they're about to make a mistake. I drove into the church parking lot. Okay? I figured nothing bad can happen in the church parking lot. So I got out of my car and, and, and she got in and she, I, I, you know, my mind, I'm thinking she's just going to do a few loops around the parking lot. No harm, no foul. Everything's going to be okay. And for some reason I don't get in the car. She gets in the car, puts it in gear, drives out of the parking lot, turns a corner and my car is gone. Now, if you know me, you know I am not a person who panics. I am not a person who worries. But I was freaked out. (laughs) Because what happens if someone saw her? What happens if my parents saw her? What happens if she gets in a wreck? What happens if she ruins my car? What happens if she gets in a ticket and everyone finds out and it's all going to come back on me? And so I was so relieved when she pulled back in the parking lot. Everything looked fine. And she began driving to me and I began running at her. Okay. Now, we had two different mindsets going on at this time, and I want to tell you about them. My mindset was as I was running at her, I was telepathically telling her to get out of my car. <laughs> she had a different mindset. You see, as I was running at her, she thought, oh, hey, he's playing chicken. So we began running at each other and we got to the place where it was, there was no point of no return. There was nothing else we could do. And so I have always been able to make split second decisions. And so I made one. I decided I was going to jump diagonally over the hood of the car. Now I was still pretty young then. I was seven, 16 years old. I could do it. And I jumped over the hood of the car and I cleared it and I felt like I was Michael Jordan. Yet my leap caused panic inside of my friend. And she began to turn the vehicle. And she turned the vehicle into my knee. And my knee had a collision with the side mirror of the car. And my knee won. The side mirror of the car became dislodged from the vehicle. And my knee wasn't doing very well either. But we had a situation on our hands. So I picked up the side mirror, I put it in the car, I drove home with my left foot, you should have seen that. I mean, I was a 16-year-old driver, and now I'm driving with the wrong foot. 
dropped her off at home, or dropped her off at her house, pulled up into my home, went inside. Now, my parents weren't particularly alarmed that I showed up at my house. I only did that every day. And so they were in the living room watching television, and they just said, hey, Brian, how's your day going? I walked into where they were, and I stood at the kitchen counter behind where they were seated, and I plopped that mirror down on the kitchen counter. And they just slowly turned their heads to see what the noise was. And it was the greatest conversation starter I've ever had. (laughs) Now, I tell you that story for two reasons. The first one is what happened in my story is that I was given blessing and I was given freedom. And instead of taking that and doing something good with it, I went against the commands of my parents and did the one thing that I was not supposed to do. As we look today at the book of Hosea, this is what the people of Israel have done. They have been given favor and blessing from the Lord, but yet they have turned and they have worshipped other things and worshipped other gods. But I tell you that reason for a second point. If you have not done your L3 and you haven't read much in Hosea, you're going to find out that the beginning of Hosea is like a conversation starter that starts very abruptly. He just jumps right in. And so I invite you to jump right in with me. We're going to start in the book of Hosea, chapter 1. Hosea 1.1 gives us some description as to when Hosea performed his ministry. But verse 2 just dives right in. And let's go ahead and read Hosea 1, verse 2. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, I want you to understand that word first. He's getting his first assignment. He is beginning his ministry. This is not later on. He is not a seasoned veteran. He's being called and conscripted into ministry. And he's given this assignment. Go take to yourselves a wife of whoredom. And have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Now I'm guessing not many of you thought we'd read that word three times today. (laughs) Let alone three times in the very first verse of scripture that we read. But what God is trying to do is he's trying to grab a hold of the Israelite people. And he's trying to get their attention. And the way that he is going to try to get their attention is he's taking someone and calling them into ministry. So just imagine if we were calling people into ministry. You, you're going to be a greeter. You, you're going to be an usher. You, you're going to work with children. You, you get to be Hosea. This is his call to ministry. And he is going to take a wayward woman and marry her and have children with her so that his marriage, his familial structure is going to be an object lesson for the people of Israel. And so he obeys in verse 3. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. You see, many years back, the house of Jehu had wiped out the house of Ahab at Jezreel. It was a great bloodshed. And now God is saying, I'm going to repay that. I'm going to punish that. There is going to be bloodshed in the land And you will be wiped out. But they had more children. Verse 6. 
Hosea writes, she conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, call her name no mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. Now, have you guys, have you guys met a family who's just had a baby? Those are always really happy meetings, right? You see them, you haven't seen them in a while, and you're like, oh, it's so great to see you. How are you feeling? Oh, can I see the little guy? Or can I see the little girl? What did you name her? No mercy. Oh, that is an interesting name choice. Why did you name her that? Oh, God is not going to have mercy on his people anymore. That is so uplifting. They had another child. Verse 8. When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, call his name, not my people, for you are not my people and I am not your God. Homer, I did it again. Put Hosea and Gomer together. Okay, so Hosea, Gomer, you've had a third kid. Please tell me you did not strike out. Third time's a charm. What's the name? Not my people. Okay, and why? Oh, God is not going to be our God anymore and we are not his people. I mean, it's almost comedic if it wasn't so tragic that the people of Israel had chased after other things so great that Hosea had literal children who he named these names so that when people would meet them, it would be an avenue for this story to go out that you are wayward from the Lord. You think about Hosea's call to ministry and you go, man, that can't get any worse. Let's flip over to chapter 3. In chapter 3, this is recorded. The Lord said to me in verse 1, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves her children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a left hetch of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore, belong to another man. So will I also be to you. There's a little bit of dispute about who this woman is. Is this another woman? I I believe that it's Gomer and I believe it's Gomer for a couple of reasons. One, in chapter one, he names this woman who he goes out. In chapter three, he does not. I believe that the writer knows that we already know the name of the person. And if you say, well, why didn't he include her name? Well, he's probably not exactly happy. Think about what he had to go do. He had a wife, he had a family, and she ran off and went back to her former trade. She went and sold herself to another man. And he had to go to his house, to his bed, and buy her back. Think about the humiliation of having to retrieve your spouse from the house of another person. And this is the ministry that God has called Hosea to, to let the people know they're wayward, they're sinful, they're adulterous ways. But I do not believe that's the message of Hosea. You see, I don't believe the message of Hosea is to leave us in a dark place. I believe the message of Hosea is even though we are Gomer, even though we are the adulterous person in the story, God does not want to leave us there. No, he talks about going and bringing her back. 
going and bringing us back. You see, the overriding message of Hosea is not how bad we are. It is how good God is. And it is how much he loves us. I believe love is the overriding word of Hosea. I believe that that will give us hope this morning. And what I want to talk about this morning is that I believe we are all called to walk in the love of God. I believe everyone here has the opportunity to walk in the love of God, but to do so, we have to take a few simple steps. We can all walk in the love of God, but we have to take a few simple steps. And I really believe these steps will help us, and so I've tried to make them memorable. Okay? Now, this is the part of the message where I need some audience participation. Can you do that? You, you are the loudest response we've had so far. Okay? I'm going to say three words. And I want to give you freedom when I say these three words to tell me whatever name comes to your mind. Get a play along? All right. Stop, collaborate, and listen. Ice, ice, baby. Okay. All right. I'm going to take that and change that slightly. Slightly. My three words are stop, celebrate, and listen. Stop. Celebrate and listen. Brian is back with a brand. No, I'm not going to go. Okay? Three steps. The first one's this stop committing spiritual adultery. I believe, as the people of God, we need to learn to stop committing spiritual adultery. To let us know what spiritual adultery looks like, I want to start in chapter 2 of Hosea. And we're only going to look at two verses. I could spend the rest of our time looking at the verses that talk about adultery with the people in the book of Hosea. There are 14 chapters of them. I want to look at two. Verse, verse, or chapter 2, verse 5 and 13. Here's 5. For their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. And we understand what they're starting to look for, right? They want more. They are not satisfied with what they have. They look around. Other people have more. They want to gain. They want a better life than the life they have. They do not believe that God is providing everything that they need or want or could dream of. And they look at the people around them and they say, wow, They sacrifice to these other gods. They do these despicable things, but we can gain more. So the people of Israel began to do that. They began to prostitute themselves out to other gods and take on the culture and the other ways of these peoples around them. And the Bible says they hoard after these other gods so they can get the things they wanted. Listen to verse 13. Verse 13 says, And I will punish her for the feast days of the Baals, when she burned offerings to them and adorned herself with ring and jewelry and went after her lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. You see, she got all dolled up. Israel got all dolled up. She put on her best ring and jewelry. She put on her best clothes and best lotions. And she went out looking for her lovers. She was looking for what C.S. Lewis called lovers less wild. That they think that they're going to get everything they need, but what they find is emptiness, and they don't find satisfaction. And for us, it's really no different. You see, we have to understand when we read the book of Hosea that this is not just an Israelite problem. That they get wayward with idolatry. This is a problem that we have. We just call it more sophisticated things. 
You see, we constantly are putting things in front of our God and we take good things that He gives us. God gives us good things. He gives us families. He gives us money. He gives us jobs and careers and we should be thankful to God that we have those things. He allows us to to participate in sports and to participate in the arts. He allows us to have sex and money and all these things that Scripture tells us are gifts. And every good gift comes from the creator of lights. But when we take a good gift, when we take a good thing and make it a God thing, it becomes a bad thing. And what our hearts do, John Calvin calls them uh, idol factories. Our human hearts are idol factories. We just take one thing after the other that we see and we make it an idol. We need more money. We need more sex. We need more power. We need more winning. We need more anything. And we begin to devote our time, our talent, and our treasures to these things. And they become idols in our lives. And anything that we put in front of our God is going to be a barrier in our relationship to our God. And so as a people, we need to stop, stop committing spiritual adultery. Well, how do we do that? How do we stop committing spiritual adultery? Because it doesn't sound like it's easy. Well, what I want to tell you, it begins with is repentance. This is not in your notes, but repentance leads to restoration. Repentance leads to restoration. What God is looking for in the hearts of the Israelites is that they will literally turn around that they will confess where they've been, they'll confess what they've been doing, and they will turn around and walk in a new path. And it's time for us as the people of God, as we look to walk in His love, to stop creating spiritual adultery, and to do that, we're going to have to step up and repent. For all of those things that we pursue more than God, all those things we put in the place and in the way of God, And I want to tell you that the best way to repent is to do it in community. Because if you confess by yourself, if you try to repent by yourself, you are going to tell yourself lies to minimize the effects and the badness that it is. That is why we need one another. That is why we must do this in a group of men or a group of women or a group that is getting together and talking about life because you will have to be honest with people. Well, you don't have to be, but you can be. And they can be honest with you, and they can tell you what they see in your life. They can speak reality to you, and you confess, and you can walk together. If we are going to be people that walk in the love of God, the first thing we have to do is we have to stop committing spiritual adultery. Now, I don't have time to go around the room and talk about all the different things that that entails. But what we believe as Christians is we have the Holy Spirit. And as as he speaks to you, as he brings things to your mind, I pray that you would be receptive to them. And that the idols that we form up that aren't made of gold and aren't made of silver and aren't made of human hands, that we would cast them down and strike them down so they don't stand in our way any longer. Now, I know that that is kind of a heavy section to start with, but I believe it's needed. We have to stop committing spiritual adultery and we have to repent before we can move on. But when we move on, we get to celebrate. In fact, we get to move on because we can celebrate what God has done. Turn with me to the, uh, we're in Hosea, turn with me to chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. 
You see, for the Israelites in this context, they are on the verge of exile. They're on the verge of being taken away, and the Assyrian people is a nasty people, and they're going to come in and do nasty things to the Israelites, and they're going to take them away and rip them from their homes and their culture and their land and their families, and a lot of them are going to die. But they have hope. Just like we have hope that just because we have committed spiritual adultery, we don't have to stay there. We get to walk in his love again, and we see a beautiful picture of this in 6, 1 to 3. It says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us so that he may heal us. He has struck us down. He will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. How can you not hear the words of the resurrection? He will bring us back. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. You can bank on this. He is going to return us. He is going to bring us back. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. When you go out in the spring and it begins to water, you see that grass keeps growing and growing. Your flowers begin to bloom. There's new life. Everyone feels refreshed. What God has done when he brings us back, he is going to bring us newness of life. For the people of Israel, they looked forward to a return. But for the people of God, we get to look at the cross. You see, when we were committing spiritual adultery, we get to remember what Jesus has done for us. That God the Father loved us so much that he sent his one and only son to this world and he lived a righteous life. And he went and he died a sinner's death for me and for you. He died in our place, taking our penalty, having our punishment, so that we could be restored and reconciled to our God, so that we can live forever with him. And when we trust in him and that he rose from the dead, breaking the power of sin and death, and we, that we will get to live with him one day. We get to celebrate what he has done. Every time we get together with the people of God, we should celebrate what God has done because it is because of what he has done we get to walk in his love. This is how he went and bought us back. Hosea had to go buy money to get Gomer back. We have the cross and he has bought us once for all. And every time we start to go back to one of those idols, every time we are prone to go back to committing spiritual adultery, we need to remember what he has done for us. We can celebrate what he has done. We can walk in the newness of life. For us to walk in the love of God, we've got to stop committing spiritual adultery. We need to celebrate what he has done, but we also need to do something else. We need to listen to his voice. You see, very often when you hear people talk about salvation, you hear people talk about baptism, it's often seen as a finish line. Hey, they're in. They're in the kingdom. They got saved. They got baptized. Woohoo, our work is done. And it is something to celebrate. Our justification from sin is worth celebrating, but it's not done yet. We have a new life that we get to live. Paul says in the letter to the Corinthians that when the old is gone, the new has come when you are in Christ. And so now it is our time to listen to his voice so that we can walk in his ways. I want to look at three verses in Hosea, starting with 10, 12. Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. 
It says, sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. This is not the only time in scripture we see the word sow and reap, but what we are to sow is righteousness. What we are to sow is the thing the Lord requires of us, that we love him with our heart, our soul, our strength, and our mind, that we love our neighbors as ourselves, that we keep his commandments, that we follow in what he has asked us to do. And when He we sow that righteousness that he creates in us, look what we reap, steadfast love. What he wants us to walk in is his love, And after we stop committing spiritual adultery, when we celebrate what he has done, we get to listen to his voice. And he says, so righteousness. In the end of the verse, he says, it is time to seek the Lord. You see, it is not when you get to a good place in your life that you are to seek the Lord. It's not when you have enough stuff or your kids get out of the house or when something happens, then it becomes time to seek the Lord. No, today is the day to seek the Lord. This is the hour to seek the Lord. It starts now if it hasn't started for you already. It is time for us to put away the things that stand in our path to remember what God has done in our lives and begin to walk in that righteous path he has called us to. It is time to listen to his voice. Hosea 12.6 tells us this. So you, by the help of your God, return. Hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. One of the problems the Israelites had was that things weren't coming fast enough. They did not have enough. They did not want to wait for the Lord. They wanted things to happen now, so they thought that they could go out and make things happen. God wants to provide everything that we need in the person of Christ Jesus. But sometimes we have to wait. We have to listen to his voice. Lastly, in chapter 14, verse 9, the very last verse of the book. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them. The transgressors stumble in them. So who are the wise ones? The wise ones are the ones who hear the word of the Lord and understand that they have a problem. In the context of Hosea, it would be Israelites that understood that they were creating or committing great acts of spiritual adultery and that they would turn and repent and remember what God has done for them or what God was doing for them and that they would listen to his voice. The wise ones would hear and turn and repent and act. So if you are sitting here today and the Spirit is doing something in you, the Spirit is going, yeah, you know, there are things that are barriers between you and I right now. There there are things that we need to demolish in your life and you're beginning to wrestle with what that looks like. Hosea is calling you wise. If you turn and you act and you repent. But the very last line says, transgressors stumble in them. If you continue going on, you are not what the Bible would call wise. So we have an opportunity to walk in God's love, but we have to do these things. We have to stop. We have to celebrate. We have to listen. But if we're willing to do them, I have great news for you. Turn with me back to Hosea chapter 2. You see, Hosea is written for us to understand who we are in relationship to God. You have Hosea and you have Gomer. 
And Gomer was an unfaithful wife, and Hosea was her husband, and he had to go by her back. But we understand in the story that God is Hosea, and we are Gomer. And that we are that wayward wife who goes and pursues our own things. God is our husband who is willing to buy us back through the person of Jesus. And look at what he wants to restore us to. Verse 19. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. One of the things Hosea says is they don't know me anymore. He's saying you will know me. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, the oil. All those things that the people wanted that they didn't think they were going to have. I want to supply all of that for you. Everything you need is to be found in me and in me alone. And look what I'm going to do. They shall answer Jezreel and I will sow her for myself in the land. I said I'm going to wipe you out. I'm going to bring you back. I will have mercy on no mercy. I will say to not my people, you are my people, and he shall say, you are my God. It screams the book of Revelation, where we are standing before our God. We are celebrating what he has done, and he says, you, you are my people. And we say, you, you are my God. He is going to bring us back because He loves us. When I started this message today talking about a story about me and a car, I want to tell you how that story ended. You see, my parents in this story are in the role of God and I'm in the role of the Israelites. Or I'm in the role of Gomer and my parents are in the role of Hosea. And my parents had every right to take the full extent of the law out on me. They could have removed my car. They could have removed my driving privileges. They could have removed anything they wanted because I had taken their blessing. I had taken their freedom. I had spat in their face and gone my own way. But instead, my parents did this. My parents first wanted to make sure that I was okay because I was limping pretty badly. The second wanted to restore a relationship with me. They could see that I was repentful. They could see that I was broken about what I had done and I had come and I had told them the whole truth. And so they forgave me and gave me grace. It's not to say that there wasn't a punishment. There's usually always a punishment. I had to pay that thing back on my own. It took forever to save up that much money. But they restored me into their love, into their family because they cared more about me than the history of my failure. For us, we have hope. We could sit up here. We could be ashamed of all these things that we've done and we put them before our God and God is just saying, look at what I've done for you. Celebrate what I have done. Stop doing those things. Crush those idols. Rejoice in what I have done through the cross of my son and listen to my voice as you walk in the newness of life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I am so thankful for your word and I'm thankful for what it tells us about you. Father, I believe we could all sit here and, and not be troubled to think of all the ways that we've failed and all the ways that we fall short. Father, but what is so great about you is that even though we fall short, you love us anyway. And you loved us so much that you set your one and only son to die for us. 
Father, I pray that everyone would trust in your son. They would receive forgiveness from your sin or from our sin. Father, I pray that we would follow you all our days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.